0: I'm Riley Fessler, producer of the DSR Network of Podcasts. Today's episode of From the Archive comes from last June and features a conversation between David, Rosa Brooks, and Ed Luce on the then-latest testimony from the January 6th hearings. We hope you enjoy. 9, 12, 10, 28, 2, This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkoff, coming to you from about 100 miles to the east of New York City we are joined today by two people who are in our nation's capital or nearby. Oh no, actually not. Cuz I see Rosa Brooks is not in our nation's capital. She is
1: I'm not. I'm 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 out in the wild west, David.
0: Well, as well as well and have you done any like bronco busting or
1: <laughs> No, but I will on this podcast.
0: Well. Well, and I guess that leaves uh, just one choice to be the Bronco, and that would be Ed Luce of <laughs> the Financial Times, uh, who is in uh, Washington, D.C. How are you doing, Ed?
2: Doing great. Thanks, David. How are you?
0: Good. I'm trying to maintain these kind of mellow NPR-like tones, you know, because <laughs> um, I don't want to wake up any of our listeners. But uh, if they happened when they got up this morning to pick up the Financial Times, they would see... Uh, column from you, Ed. And uh, the column was that a, 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 a clear, well-reasoned argument why it, it's, it's kind of imperative that Donald Trump be tie, uh, tried. And, you know, I, I, although this is usually the podcast during the week when we talk about international issues, I think it's important to look at what is happening in the US right now in a broader global context. Uh, and as I read your column, I thought, you know, the trial of Donald Trump would be some story. It would really have the world galvanized. Um, uh, they would never have seen anything like it. Uh, and so, uh, in that context, I thought we ought to talk about your column. Tell, tell, tell why don't you explain a little bit what the,
2: the, the argument is? Uh, well, th- first of all, thanks for for highlighting my column. I mean, I, I do think this is, for the most important test case for American democracy. Um, and like many people, I didn't have dramatic expectations for the January sixth hearings, but as they've gone on, and I guess we're now about halfway through, we've we've had four, as they have very um, thoroughly uh, amassed and presented the evidence and the quotes from witnesses, Republican witnesses, Republican after Republican after Republican, um, about Trump's um, criminal intent, um, which of course is the very high bar that the DOJ, that Merrick Garland needs to clear, um, you know, to put to a grand jury for any, um, for, for any prosecution of Trump. Uh, as that criminal intent has been made, I think, manifest beyond any reasonable doubt by witnesses ranging from Bill Barr to, you know, White House counsels, to Ivanka Trump at one point, to his campaign man, manager, and on and on, and even to some of the people on Team Crazy, uh, like John Eastman, the architect of, of um, the fake elector scheme, uh, you know, who um, conceded in, in communications, the committee got hold of, conceded that what they were doing was unconstitutional, um, that we have such a preponderance of evidence and intent that failure to prosecute, um, I, I think would be a, a gross historic dereliction on the part of Merrick Garland, and I, I have to say, I do not envy the position he's in because, of course, you know, if if you if you strike the king and 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 don't kill him, uh, then you've got a whole different problem on your hands, which is, um, you know, maybe a, 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 a failed prosecution that would help get Trump reelected in 2024. But I think, given and so it's a terrible dilemma. But I think, given the weight of this evidence. Um, that dilemma is lessening. lessening. and I just sort of add that you know I perhaps rather um, uh, not naively, but rather simplistically expected that the January sixth hearings, committee hearings, were principally aimed at swaying public opinion. Of course, they they are, um, and they they've been presented extremely effectively um, um, for anybody in the, uh, watching television to be left in no doubt, but uh, it's become clearer as these hearings have gone on that the most important audience is the Department of Justice and and courts and prosecutors in places like Georgia. What do you think, Rosa?
1: You know, I have really mixed feelings about this. I mean, do I personally think that Trump committed crimes? Yes. Um, Do I think that there is a a strong case to be made legally? given what we have heard in the January 6th committee hearings? Yes, absolutely. Do I think it is a slam dunk? No. And I do think that there are a lot of barriers to a successful prosecution. Uh, I don't, I think, I generally think Merrick Garland is being too cautious without good reason. In this case, I think his caution may be justified. I think about the consequences of a trial in which Trump was acquitted, for instance. you know, I think this is one where even aside from any other concerns, you know, any prosecutor would want to feel like beyond a reasonable doubt, they can get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt, right? You know, that this is this is the sort of like if you, you know, if you try to kill the king, you better succeed, um, because the consequences of failing are are so catastrophic. So I, I also think that we, as Americans in the Western world in general, as well, we, we tend to overvalue uh, legal models of accountability, prosecutorial models, and and think of that as the only form that matters. You know, as opposed to you know, when we think about societies that have gone through uh, transitions from autocracy to democracy, or that have had to address war crimes of various sorts, you know, there are other models, and and sometimes prosecutions don't work for all kinds of reasons. Uh, the, sort of the truth and reconciliation model is one or, or depriving people of the ability to participate again in public life. Um, you know, for instance, banning Trump from running for office again uh, because he's committed treason against the United States. You know, There are other there are other means of ensuring accountability. And I'm much as I personally would love to see Trump face trial and be convicted. Um, I'm a little worried that it could backfire.
0: Well, let me ask you a follow up question on that before I go back to it. Because you're an attorney, um, you. I'm a, part-
1: totally <laughs> I'm a law professor. That's totally well, different. Pardon me. I'm a law professor. That's totally different. Well,
0: okay, I, okay. B- better yet, you're a law professor, um, and you participated. in a you know lengthy series of discussions prior to the last election about the kind of things Trump might do to undermine it. In fact, you led that discussion. Um, it's something, by the way. I, I you don't even know this, but you know, in the next book I've written, um, which comes out in October, I spend a bit of time looking at the the process that you guys went to, and um, and you anticipated January sixth as a pivot point, point. Uh, and in in the in this, I mean the the people who participated in the process did. But let's just take this question of you know what if he's acquitted what do you think the strongest charge against trump is
1: oh i mean this, uh, the strongest charge is that he essentially tried to bribe and blackmail state level election officials number one i that would be one of them into overturning what he knew to be valid election returns and the other would be that he under the circumstances created an environment where he this would be harder to prove right but the the stuff with mike pence um uh you know that he created an environment where he i mean when i think about the analogy actually here to command responsibility in the war crimes and crimes against humanity international criminal law context you know it tends to be did the commander uh a standard of did the commander know or should have the commander have known that underlings would commit crimes, right? It doesn't have to be a standard of did were they expressly ordered. And so I think if hypothetically right, if that was the standard here, um, for Trump would be there's a pretty strong case to be made that that he he knew or should have known that his words would be construed as a directive to Use violence uh, against specific individuals, um, um, you know. But I also think that I also think that trials are really unpredictable, right? As when they're when they not when they involve you know poor people of color accused of crimes, in which case it's extraordinarily difficult for them to be acquitted, and there tend to be plea bargains. But when prosecutions involve extremely wealthy and politically powerful white people. Uh, and Trump is the politically powerful, wealthy white person extraordinaire, um, they're really dicey. And I'm not sure it's worth the risk, politically okay, speaking.
0: Okay, well, so th- I'm going to ask you one last follow-up, and bear with me here, Ed. But let's take the case you mentioned first, which is interfering at a state level with elections. The President of the United States, Donald Trump, is on the record, having called the Georgia Secretary of State having called, spoken to the Speaker of the Arizona House, and essentially tried to force them into changing the vote. Um, he threatened them, he, um, he had his uh, staff do the same, he fired people in the vicinity. He did, you know, I mean, there, it, it, he said it, we have it on tape, how do you defend against that? How does he get acquitted?
1: You're, you're, you're forgetting something. I remember my, one of my <laughs> first year law professors saying to me, and you're, you're a law school graduate, saying something about juries. Remember, juries representing the unspoken and sometimes the unspeakable views of the American people. Um, you know, juries do what juries feel like doing. Juries lawfully can nullify and ignore the law. It would be a pretty big gamble for any prosecutor to take to assume that just because from the perspective of you know 97 out of 100 lawyers the evidence is crystal clear that a jury would vote to convict.
0: Okay so Ed what do you think given what Rosa has just said?
2: Well I'm, I'm not an attorney still less uh, Um, a a, a professor of constitutional law um, like Rosa. I mean, that is the correct designation, right, Rosa? Um, But... uh, She's
0: also the vice dean for institutions.
2: (laughs) A vice dean for institutions. Well, I mean, (laughs) can't beat that. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, the word sedition is probably, you know, one tossed around by lay people without understanding the weight um, that it carries. But um, sedition is, you know, uh, undermining the constitution. Uh, and it means and you swear an oath. David, when he David's t- the
1: guy who wrote the book about treason.
2: Right. Um, and so David should be talking about this. Um, but there's that. There's also, um, and so I'd like to ask you about that. What What, what is the bar? But, but secondly, um, um, the uh, cost of inaction, how high would you put that? The cost of allowing a president to attempt a coup quite clearly this was an attempted coup and to have no consequences legally uh, wouldn't that uh, make another attempt and probably a a more successful one far more likely and isn't that the bigger risk
1: I don't know I mean this is why I said I'm conflicted because I agree with you Um, for there to be no consequences I think does make the risk that this will happen again bigger my question is not whether there should be consequences my question really is whether a prosecution is the most effective form of consequence right i mean when you think about other things that have happened in the past in the united states going back to the civil war right that that by and large we haven't dealt with uh even quite high crimes and misdemeanors, right? Through criminal prosecution, oh, it's the dog. The dog would like to add a few words here. Um, You know, and it's not clear that, you know, the fact that Nixon didn't get charged You know, we had the Watergate, we had the Watergate hearings and so on. You know, I think there are other form, there are other ways to try to hold people accountable, as I said, and I think our, I think the question for all of us should not be, should we let Trump get away with it, right? To which the answer is clearly, of course we should try not to let him get away with it. I think to me, the question is more, when we consider the partisan divide in this country, when we consider the extraordinarily high risk of future political violence, What is the form of accountability that is most likely to minimize that that future risk? Uh,
2: And I do have a question for both of you. Sorry to interrupt, David, Um, but which is you mentioned, Rosa, that um, another an alternative to prosecution would be banning him from running for office. What, what, What would it require to ban him from running for office? David, what do you know the answer to that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> as rosa takes a long sip of her now the the, the, I, the as far as i know uh he could be banned under what is it the thirteenth 13th, 13th amendment of the 14th amendment of the constitution which says that if you've participated in an insurrection against the united states government uh that you 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 can be banned from office but somebody has to make that judgment um and it would presumably be tested in a court, right, Rosa? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, right. I mean, if Trump files his candidacy, someone could challenge it on that basis and a court would hear it and potentially would ultimately go to the Supreme Court. And that's that's clearly not the same as a criminal prosecution of Donald Trump, but I think that would be a pretty powerful form of accountability.
0: Yeah, it would be. I mean, you know, the, the, of course, the, the most powerful form of accountability is elections. And, you know, the problem is that the, the January 6th effort yeah. is ongoing and that the November 2022 elections are going to seek to put into office lots of secretaries of state and, and others who believe in this Trumpian idea that if the election doesn't go your way, then you should find a way to invalidate it
1: well i would add david that even even aside from all of that we are already well past the point where due to the nature of our electoral system the the deck is very much stacked in favor of republicans so we could have a a quote free and fair election under the under the rules a rule abiding free and fair election which would still not necessarily in any way reflect the will of the people. I mean, as we know, you don't have to win the popular vote in order to become president of the United States. So even if you are repudiated by a substantial majority of the American people, uh, you can still end up uh, winning under our rules.
0: Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And I mean, mean, we've talked about this many times before, um, but whether it's because of gerrymandering or because of Citizens United or because of Shelby County decision on voting rights, or because of efforts to limit voting rights, or because of uh, the the imbalances that are built into the Constitution that give more power to um, less populated states on a proportional basis within the Senate, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The thumb is on the scale for the Republican Party, the way our system is currently constituted, which is what brings us back to courts you know but ed one of the things that troubles me is you know periodically my frustration will get the best of me and i will make the terrible mistake of tweeting something saying i'm frustrated with merrick garland and immediately i will get hundreds of emails saying i am a legal scholar and i want you to know that if merrick garland were doing the right thing then we would see nothing at all and since we see nothing at all i conclude he is doing the right thing uh, of course, if he were not doing the right thing, we would also see nothing at all. Um, but that argument, which I offer weekly afterwards, tends not to have much, much traction. You know, it seems like Garland acts as though he, the clock is not ticking. It seems to me that with November elections looming and longer and longer delays empowering Trump, the clock is ticking. What do you think, Ed?
2: Yeah, this is like Schrodinger's attorney general. Um, if nothing's happening, then he's acting on that. You know, if you find out, then nothing's happening. Um, uh, look, I, I really deeply sympathize and support the um, his attempt to restore the independence of the Department of Justice and Joe Biden's attempts to um, correct um, the great damage Trump did by, you know, treating the attorney general as his personal lawyer. And Bill Barr, right up until the last moment, fulfilled that role. Um, and so what they're doing is essential um and important. And of course, it means that members of my profession um are not going to have like a big Jim Jim Comey kind of press conference saying, hey, we're 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 going after Trump. They they're playing this by the book. Um, a line I couldn't resist using in my column is that, you know, Merrick Garland is a, is a public servant who plays by the book in a country that's given up reading. Um, and I, 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 I'm not sure whether playing by the book is going to be enough for all the reasons set out in your question, David. Um, justice, take the wheels of justice, take their time to, time to turn. You cannot launch an action until you've got all your, all your evidence in place, all your witnesses in place that you're absolutely sure of your case. And that, of course, takes time. But to switch to another cliche, justice delayed is justice denied. If this, if this goes on too long, even, even with the right outcome, um, in my view, which would be a prosecution of Trump, um, then it's not going to be um, as effective. So I do hope that his silence um, means he's um, he's preparing a case, but I, I fear that you know, what Rosa summarized is is a likelier explanation.
0: What do you, What do you think about that, Rosa? I mean, should he be doing more visibly? Um, is, do you do Do you fear not enough is being done? I'll be honest with you. I talked to people who um, used to work at a high level in the Justice Department in this administration. People who know Garland well, people who are in the judiciary, lawyers who prosecute these cases, and a fairly substantial number of them are not sanguine that things are being handled. Um, uh, you know that things are being handled as they should be. They feel that that Garland is by nature cautious and perhaps too cautious.
1: I think that's true in general of him. Um, as I said, I mean, I, I think I, I mean I can't speak to the internal conversations going on in the Justice Department or the status of their investigations. Uh, from the outside, as I said, this seems to be me to be one where caution is appropriate. Um, at a minimum, you know, I, I we don't we don't know exactly what they have and don't have. Um, the the downside of the January six hearings, you know, is to create just another wild card for any potential prosecution um, would be that Trump's defense lawyers could argue that owing to the pre-existing partisan proceedings, it would not be possible for him to get a fair trial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so so. N- That may it may very well be true that the Justice Department and Merrick Garland are currently being cautious for the wrong reasons, and it is almost certainly true that they're frequently too cautious for the wrong reasons. Again, I think in this particular case, there are some pretty good reasons to be super, super, super careful, and I also think that there are good reasons for them to be super, super quiet until, unless and until they have all of their ducks in a row. You know that that again, this is this is not one where anything about any strategy, et cetera, or evidence should be leaked in advance uh, uh, because any of that would just jeopardize the ultimate outcome if there is some sort of prosecution.
0: Recently, there seem to have been a number of articles. I saw several in the New York Times that have focused on this. Well, it's hard to prosecute him side of things. And here are the hurdles. One of them was an op-ed in which a former Republican official enumerated things, but said things like, Well, you know, the January 6th committee's, you know, one-sided presentation doesn't tell the whole story, which I thought was unfair since almost all of the material witnesses so far in the January 6th committee have been Republicans, Uh, that if anything, you know, they've bent over backwards. It's in some ways been one of the most remarkable bipartisan displays we've seen in this country in a while. Uh, because there was this line that people didn't want to cross. Um, But I also worry, Ed, that, you know, part of this may be an effort by folks, maybe in the Justice Department or close to it, to just sort of put stories out there that take the sting out of inaction or slow action um, and say, this is much harder than you think it is. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess the, you know, the $64,000 question is, is it harder to prosecute Trump and those close to Trump like Eastman? Or is it harder not to?
2: I mean, I, I would have thought I can't put my myself in garland shoes or, or senior lawyers at the DOJ, but I would have thought that what motivates you to go into the law is a sense of justice and fairness. Um, and that, you know, that, that must, you know, for the, particularly that branch of the law, um, that must be a strong motivating impulse for what you're doing in life. And that it would be very painful to watch the wreckage, the vandalism and the potential future cost, huge future cost of, of this crime, attempted crime, um, going unpunished, um, and you having the means to to correct that. So, but you know, I say this sort of you know uh, de novo behind the sort of veil of ignorance as as, uh, as somebody who I imagine um, if I were a lawyer, um, if I were a constitutional lawyer, that I would want to I would want to play the hero. I would want to be on the right side of defending the republic from attacks by enemies, domestic or foreign, and these are domestic enemies. And these are domestic enemies.
0: How do, you, how do you feel, Rosa, a year from now, two years from now, if the Justice Department investigation into January 6th ends up where we ended up with the Mueller report, where you know there are a bunch of findings, findings that suggest crimes took place, um, but no accountability at the highest level. Um, how do you feel if Donald Trump? So again, Trump... I,
1: I think you're I think you're framing that in a slightly <laughs> unfair way, right? How do I feel if there's no accountability? I feel bad. Um, am I convinced that a criminal prosecution is the only or the best form of accountability? No, I'm not. Well, um, but,
0: but fine. But you know, I, I accept your earlier point. But what are the forms of accountability that are more likely?
1: Boy, I mean, so likely is a different question, right? Because I'm not actually all that optimistic. I, I'm not convinced that there is any likely form of accountability. You know, I, I, I'm i worried about the midterm elections. I'm worried about the 2024 elections. I'm worried that if there was a criminal prosecution, it could fail and make Trump even more of a hero. Uh, and and. It, foment even greater political division and violence. I'm worried that even without a prosecution, that all those things may happen. So I don't actually I, I'm not optimistic, frankly, that there will be any meaningful form of accountability. I'm, I'm, I hope there will be. I think we should try to ensure there is, but I think that the situation is so unstable right now and the risks are so great that again, I'm I'm not sure if I were Merrick Garland that I would be Charging down the prosecution route for Donald Trump as opposed to, for instance, some of those underlings, you know, and as opposed to letting the January 6 proceedings play out and doing our darndest to protect the integrity of the electoral system at the state and local level so that we can ensure that even with our already skewed rules, at least the fourth upcoming elections are fair by the terms of those rules. And I, I, you know, I do think that ultimately, you know, part of the reason that the the Constitution creates impeachment as a remedy, and we, we were not able, obviously, to get Trump convicted in, in the two impeachment proceedings against him. Is that ultimately, when it comes to the president, the the remedy, if there is to be a remedy, and there isn't always a remedy, is fundamentally political in nature. You know that either the American people will have the good sense. Uh, in in cooperation with the justice department doing its darndest to ensure that the electoral mechanisms are actually non-corrupt and fair, either the American people will have the good sense to permanently repudiate the Trumpies, uh, at the polls in 2024, uh, or they won't, but I'm not convinced that what Merrick Garland does or doesn't with regard to prosecution of Donald Trump will have a whole lot to do with that.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I have to say, I look for green shoots. I look for positive developments, but I share this this kind of a, a pessimism of of roses. I don't know that people at a high level will be held accountable, and I, and by that I mean, by the way, not just the president, um, but members of Congress who help foster this, foment this thing. Uh, people on the on the president's uh, team. Um, and, and, and I guess, you know, that's, you know, the, the, the question is what then, you know, are they empowered, you know, is this behavior empowered, you know, Ron Johnson, you know, carrying fake electors, wanting to get them to Pence, uh, people, you know, leading people on tours, the, 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 you know, the, the, this hyper politicization of the Congress is 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 a, is a lack of accountability on a high level of this thing, a wound from which the United States democracy cannot recover.
2: I mean, we, we do see, we have been seeing in the last 18 months, state legislature, Republican run state legislature after one after the other. Um, put in place not just further electoral um, restriction suppression kind of laws, with which you know, we are now very familiar, um, but um, electoral subversion laws, which allows the legislature itself to decide to certify the, the slate of electors um, and, and maybe overturn um, election officials, such as the Brad Raffensperger's of, of this world. That is, that is a more competent coup in the making. Um, Now, I mean, I guess the sort of the good side for 2024 is that, you know, they can't try it with the vice president, because that would be Kamala Harris. Um, And and we would um, have no doubts that um, she would um, uphold her constitutional duty. Um, But I have to say, you know, one of the really interesting things culturally um, about the chatter around these January the 6th hearings is the number of figures from the Watergate era who we've seen crop up on TV, the John Deans, uh, you know, obviously Woodward and Bernstein, but people who were who were involved um, in those hearings. Um, And this documentary about Martha Mitchell, um, which which is a short little cameo, but a really good one. And the pardoning of Nixon is something that, you know, looks like a worse and worse mistake as time goes on. Um, I understand why Ford did it. He wanted to draw a line under that period and, and embark on national healing. Um, but uh, allowing Nixon to, to wander off with impunity after criminal, um, uh, after sustained criminality from the, white, from the Oval Office, I think set a precedent that's making it harder now to deal with a far more dangerous criminal. Um, and that's what Trump is.
0: No doubt, and in fact, many of those Watergate figures have said that. They've said this is much worse than Watergate on many, many levels. Rose, I'll give you the last word here, <laughs> listening to what Ed just said and thinking about this whole thing. Um, uh, can you, within the depths of your pessimistic soul, find any reasons for optimism?
1: Um, not a whole lot. I mean, the I I, I think that this time around um the democratic party apparatus is better prepared is more forewarned uh, of what the republicans are doing i think last time around as you know as ed knows when we did our transition integrity project uh simulations we got a lot of responses of like oh you people are so alarmist this will never happen don't be so ridiculous you know and don't don't say this stuff because it'll scare people away from the polls. I don't think anybody's saying that this time, right? This time everybody's like, oh yeah, okay, um, it happened, it will happen. Um, so so the, the one thing that gives me some optimism is that both the Democratic Party apparatus and I think the network of uh, grassroots and national nonprofits that focus on election fairness are, are very focused on all this stuff. Um, I think it will, frankly, in some ways, come down to you know, what they say politics always comes down to, which is the, the ground game. You know, In the end, is it the pro-Trump activists uh, or is it the good guys in this context, those who want fairness regardless of party? Um, who who manage to prevail in ensuring that people can get to the polls, that they can do so safely, that their votes are actually counted, that the vote totals are reported accurately, that state legislators certify those accurate results uh, as they're supposed to, and so forth. Um, you know, I think it's going it to it's going to come down to what happens at those very local levels. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not. I don't think all is lost. Um, I also think that there is still time between now and the 2024 election uh, to do a lot more than has been done so far to safeguard the integrity of the electoral process. Um, So I don't think all is lost. Uh, I'm just not terribly optimistic that all will be won either.
0: Well, Ed, you know, we've been doing this all together now for many, many years, more, more than the five years of Deep State Radio. And, you know, I you know, have a rosa meter that I refer to and you know not all is lost is about as giddy as it
2: gets. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm 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 feeling faint. I would I would swoon if I if I weren't already sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> this is a shocker.
0: Yeah, well in any event, you know, I think there's a lot of soundness. There's a lot of soundness in your column today, Ed. I think your analysis of it all rosa um, bears a lot of thought. Um, I I certainly hope we end up in a better place um, than it seems like we may be heading here. Um, uh, And I have to say that to the extent to which we do end up in a better place, the January 6th hearings have made a big contribution because they have told the story exceptionally well so far, better than any hearings I've ever seen in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't know how that, that saga is going to end, but we do know that whatever, whatever, what are we in four hearings into this thing, um, that we understand better what was happening even than we did over the course of the past year and a half, because they've done such a good, clear, um, uh, uh job of, of communicating. So that's, I guess, something positive. Well, we'll keep following it. And of course, we will keep following it with Ed and with Rosa uh, and with all of you out there. So uh, join us again uh, for the next discussion on this front and uh, on international fronts uh, as well. Um, uh, And if you want to know what we're doing, go to the DSRnetwork.com because you'll find updates on all that right there. For now, thanks very much. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Rosa. Thanks to the audience and bye-bye.